and you are listening to the Leftscape Podcast. Hi, I'm Mary McGinley. Hi, I'm Wendy Sheridan, and today is June 27th, and uh, we have a couple of like silly things that I'd like to mention. Uh, we have a couple, a few famous people birthdays today. Uh, Chloe Kardashian, Helen Keller, and J.J. Abrams are all having a birthday today. And you can th tell they're all so similar. What? They're all so similar that they should have the same birthday. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, and also, uh, this woman, Mildred J. Hill, from the 19th century, today is her birthday. Uh, and the reason I'm mentioning this is she's the composer musician who wrote the song Happy Birthday to You. So, good job, Mildred. That is very cool. And the thing is, though, if we wanted to sing that for that song, we would have to pay royalties to her family. Still, Actually, I believe. I think that's been changed. Has that changed? I okay. think no. There was a big court battle, and I think, um, th yeah, there's a huge court battle about that, and and I think it's finally in the public domain. I don't quote uh -huh. me on yeah. that. Um, that's what I don't risk it, but, but yeah. I I did um, not know. <laughs> and and also June twenty seventh is also National Orange Blossom Day and National Sunglasses Day. That's and, a good <laughs> And also it's National PTSD Awareness Day. So maybe we can just talk a little tiny bit about that. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, PTSD stands for post-traumatic stress disorder, which used to be called uh, shell shock. Shell shock, right. Yeah. And I think there was something else that was called between shell shock and PTSD, but I can't remember the George Carlin routine about it. Um, but it's it's a real thing, and it happens to people who are not necessarily in combat. You know, any kind of um, traumatic experience that you may have had in your life could cause you to have PTSD, which means you have a reaction to uh, similar things um, like seeing that event in a movie or something or reading about it could really stress you out. And, you know, we need to be aware. I've been thinking a, a lot about the uh, PTSD. I think it's PTSD-C, but it's it's the complex version of it. Maybe it's C-PTSD. Okay, I, I, I haven't heard about that. And it's when you've undergone something that happens over a long period of time. So it's not like a one event, but it's um, oh, it's like a, a long-term. Like a continuous? Does C stand for continuous or continued? It stands for complex, but, complex. but that's kind of the idea that you know, it's something that has happened over a long period of time of abuse or something like that. And that's, I've thought about that in my life. I wonder if I've had some things like that. In, in terms of how I react to things based on things from my past. And it's something I'm learning about, but it's definitely something to be aware of as a real thing. And if you need help, get help and talk to people, you know? Yeah. Mm. Mm. Well, there's a lot of stress going around right now as we're recording this. Uh, the children who are being separated from their parents at the border are going to be living with this for the rest of their lives. but. It's horrific. Yes. It's horrific. It is. And um, go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> no, we have no. A, we have a lot of, we have a lot of thoughts about about the current immigration crisis that's yeah. Uh, yeah. that's going on right now um, with the kids yeah. being separated from their parents. 
and and shipped to other states and and now they're now they're saying that they don't really have um, a, a system in place to reunite the families. Yeah, they're not keeping track. I mean, they're sending the parents home or you know back to their countries of origin and the kids are still in custody it's you know and then what happens mm -hmm. yeah. that's what I'm thinking about you know no, even even if all resolved perfectly in the end which you know it's I don't think is likely <laughs> um, this the, just the experience of being torn away from each other at a border in this way is just um, I, I don't even have words for it. I can't. It's so hard to process that this is happening, but I, I'm. We need to know that it is, and we need to. It's not supposed to be what America is about. I, no. and, and honestly, historically, that's not been the case because we've done stuff similar to this throughout our entire history. Um, Japanese internment. It just the, the treatment of the native populations, um, yeah. you know, they took, I think they took the kids, I know they did it in Canada because it, the Canadians have been addressing this issue of removing the children um, of the native population and putting them into, um, oh, I forget the name of the, 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 what they called the schools, but they put them into these private schools where they made them lose their own culture and you know with the, these to who to quote assimilate unquote them into into canadian society and i and i'm not sure if we did the exact same thing in the united states or if we just like killed them uh, you know i i don't know schools like that absolutely yeah because the canadians are going out of their they're trying they're trying to do better and they're trying to make reparations about this um but you know we ripped children away from their parents when they were slaves we and i'm sure that we've done similar things to the native population and the most recent you know atrocity was the was the japanese internment camps and now we're doing this and we're supposed to be better than this and we're not and it's it it's heartbreaking it it and it's upsetting and it's you know um it's outrageous and I'm outraged. <laughs> yeah, and what, what really outraging me too is the reason for it. What what is the reason for it? It's just so that Trump can get his wall. That's he's doing this. It's so petty, and and there are people on both sides, Republicans and Democrats, are decrying this, and yet nobody does anything about it. And he keeps on, in, Trump keeps on insisting, oh, it's the law that Democrats uh, set well, up. He's and, lying. Uh, that, don't don't repeat his lies. That's bullshit. Because yeah. there is no law that says that. Um, and on yeah, our, our, uh, our Facebook it's law, it's a page, policy. We've got a we've got a uh, an article by an immigration lawyer um, that explains a lot about the background of what asylum is and seeking asylum is not a crime and even crossing the border is supposed to be a misdemeanor so it's like a trap you know it's like getting a speeding ticket and it's mm. like think about think about if you get a speeding ticket and you go to court and the court says oh, okay you got a speeding ticket so we're taking your kids oh right oh 
You know, I I was in work yesterday and uh, it slowed downtime at work. I get go on the computer and I'm looking at Twitter and I'm seeing all these things pop up because uh, yesterday and when the day before we recorded this podcast, yesterday was the day that Kristen Nielsen uh, got up and said there that we don't have a policy to take children away and and. Everybody got up in arms about this. And also there was the recording of the child crying and say, giving her aunt's phone number that was so heart-rending. Um, and then, uh, uh, so there's all these tweets jumping up, right, about this and, and people being very upset. And then in the middle of that, I get I see this tweet and it's from Alan uh, Dershowitz. Is that his name, Dershowitz? He's a Fox News law expert and he's saying this is what his complaint was his complaint was in in the middle of all this firestorm his complaint was um why is paul manafort being sent to jail he hasn't (laughs) sentenced and uh this is not well and i'm thinking what the hell are you talking about Well, well manafort is in jail uh and it's it, he's well, just trying to he's trying term. to change that, he's trying yeah. to change the conversation that's what is that called yeah. sea lioning or something or what yeah. about it's kind of a version of what aboutism yeah, yeah. but yeah, but just to, as point. <laughs> as an aside manafort is in jail because he he was caught like, trying to tamper wait. with the jury that's why he's in jail. Hit the Wait. judge. The judge says, "Well, all right, you you violated your terms of bail, so we're locking you up." Period. That yes, happens. This law expert doesn't understand that law. Well, maybe he so. doesn't believe what happened. You know, he's there. It's an alternate universe, Fox News. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, yeah. We, uh, we let them just write down. <laughs> we let them uh, take our, our conversation too. Yes. Yeah. But anyway, anyway, um, I also wanted to mention that there is a a movement, Families Belong Together, is uh, starting an action on June 30th, and Mm. um, it's... I believe there was one on the 14th, too. People marched all over the country, which was wonderful. Yeah, but I didn't know there was a detention center, for example, in Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's one. Yeah, there's one. There's a detention center five miles from my house. So, you know, it's not like I have to drive to Texas. So well, or none of us have to drive to Texas. I mean, there's there's 100 detention centers or 99 of them across the country. Uh, the odds that one is within an hour or two of your house is very high. So so, so this thing on the 30th, are people going to these detention centers? Is that I'm what it's- not exactly sure. Uh, well, it says they're rallying around the country and in Washington D.C. But it's on the it's the URL for this is at act.moveon.org, and I guess they're collecting names right now. Um, and it's 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 act.moveon.org/survey/June underscore thirtieth underscore pledge is the URL. Um, and I think if you sign up for that, you will get information about where things are happening. And it's yeah. happening on, um, I just, the 30th has got to be, what, a Friday? Hang on, I will tell you. 
Yes. And we were definitely. It's a Saturday. It's a Saturday. So it's this Saturday. There's going to be something happening. Um, And if you sign up, you can find out what it is. I don't have the information about exactly what and where, but people want to. I also got. I but got I'm going to find out, find out and show up. This sounds like something I absolutely yes. want to do. Yes. Visible around. I really, I like it that we can do something too, not just sit here and bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And and recommend do something to our, our readers. I also got an email from uh, uh, NOW, National Organization of Women of New Jersey, and they were stating how we are lucky in New Jersey that our senators uh, have voted against this and they, they're, they're all on our side. However, we, we can't be complacent because they are actually in the process right now of counting how many, um, how many messages they get that's anti this. And, and so you still have to call or contact your, your senators and your representatives and and speak out against this absolutely make make your voice heard yeah in other news (laughs) um i read uh we're recording this um on the 19th of june and um i think yesterday um a a court struck down uh the proof of citizenship law that was enacted in kansas so that's a good thing um, and uh, the Supreme Court has sent back uh, to the lower court a gerrymandering case in Wisconsin um, and it's not that the case isn't over yet because the court in their um, in their I don't even know what what the term is in their they wrote when they said that ah, we're not going to look at this they gave because they said that the the claimants have no standing uh, to take this particular thing to court, but they, in their What's rule, the well, I'm sorry, it was a gerrymandering the... in Wisconsin. Um, it was for or against. Pardon me. For or against. Oh, they wanted to be re. They wanted the district to be uh, redrawn okay. because it's okay. Hard, you know, the in Wisconsin got very gerrymandered um, during the last. Uh, the last time that everybody re- redid the uh, congressional districts to heavily favor Republicans. Um, and one of the districts has taken that to court and it got to the Supreme Court who was refusing to hear the case. And, uh, but, the, but the justices, the justices said, uh, this, is how, this is how you redo the, the case so we will hear it. And they sent it back to the lower court. So, so is that a good thing? It's it's not a bad, bad thing. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's it's a continuing thing. It's something that like because the, the people who brought the suit are saying, oh, we're not done. We're gonna they're going back down to you know they're gonna regroup and um and come up with a different strategy to to uh, challenge the the way the the congressional districts are in Wisconsin. Um, I guess they were getting excited because of uh, what happened in Pennsylvania recently, so. So uh, I saw this piece of 
an essay or possibly a book, I'm not sure, that was floating around Facebook, um, written by uh, a German from, um, from the perspective of shortly after World War II. And I'm reading an excerpt out of this. Uh, the entire thing that I saw on Facebook is on our Leftscape Facebook page, so you can find it there. Um, and it's by Milton Mayer from They Thought They Were Free. Uncertainty is a very important factor, and instead of decreasing as time grows on, it grows. Outside, in the streets, in the general community, everyone is happy. One hears no protest and certainly sees none. You know, in France or Italy, there would be slogans against the government painted on our walls and fences. In Germany, outside the great cities, perhaps there is not even this. In the university community, in your own community, you speak privately to your colleagues, some of whom certainly feel as you do, but what do they say? They say, eh, it's not so bad, or you're seeing things, or you're an alarmist. And one day, too late, your principles, if you were ever sensible to them, all rush in upon you. The burden of self-deception has grown too heavy, and some minor incident, in my case, my little boy, hardly more than a baby, saying Jewish swine, collapses it all at once, and you see that everything, everything has changed, and changed completely under your nose. The world you live in, your nation, your people, is not the world you were born in at all. The forms are all there, all untouched, all reassuring. The houses, the shops, the jobs, the mealtimes, the visits, the concerts, the cinema, the holidays. But the spirit, which you never noticed because you made the lifelong mistake of identifying it with the forms, is changed. Now, you live in a world of hate and fear, and the people who hate and fear do not even know it themselves. When everyone is transformed, no one is transformed. Now, you live in a system which rules without the responsibility even to God. The system itself could not have intended this in the beginning, but in order to sustain itself, it was compelled to go all the way. And I read this and I post these things because for me as a descendant of people who escaped Eastern Europe before the Holocaust, I recognize things happening here and in the world that are really reminiscent of all of this. And I know I'm not the only person, but it is important for us to resist this. Uh, so tomorrow is the anniversary of Stonewall, June 28th, and that is... The Stonewall uh, Riots, right? Yes, the Stonewall Riots, and it's a time to remember the riots that happened at the Stonewall Inn in 1969 in New York City, which really sparked the modern uh, LGBT movement. Um, it was a, a lot of... Um, drag queens and people of color and and a lot of folks that are often erased in the uh, sort of the most visible of the LGBT world. Um, so it's a time to remember those people uh, and everyone who fought there and who started the Pride March in New York City, which was started in 1970, actually, by Brenda Howard, who was an out bi woman. And it's... Um, it's just good to, to remember the, the political aspect that really uh, began everything. And it will be the 50th anniversary next year. Wow. And 
going to be, um, uh, I think it's called World Pride in New York City. So oh, wow. The regular, I mean, the regular Pride March and you know, festival is a huge event. So I can imagine what it's going to be like there next year. But I think it will be uh, a wonderful time to celebrate and remember and also um, commemorate. So if you are inclined to read something or go to an event about Stonewall for tomorrow, the 49th anniversary, that would be wonderful. This mm. is why Pride Month is June. Yes. That's, mm -hmm. Well, that's uh, cool. I did not know, yeah. I, you know, you wonder why, why is this happening now as opposed to another time of the year? And that's because that's when shit happened. That's when it happened. And, and New York always holds their events on the, I believe it's the fourth Sunday of the month of June. So it's all, it's pretty close to the actual date, you know, every, mm -hmm. so. So Stonewall's like the Bunker Hill of uh, the movement. Uh, I guess you could say that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know, shot to start the war. Right, right. Yeah. You know, so, I think it's interesting, though, what, what you were just saying is that next year is going to be World Pride. That suddenly made me think of there's countries in the world that don't even recognize that there are gay people and and there's so much oppression in some of these countries that, and, and there are countries where it's it's a capital offense yes yes you know so that's the thing for me to remember and and for all of us to remember that it's i we really i'm i'm very fortunate to be able to create my bi poly fluid you know bubble that i mostly live in you know? <laughs> And and one of the reasons why I want to continue to be vocal, though, is that because I do recognize that that's not the situation for a lot of people, you know, and um, and even here I, bi people, bisexuality is is kind of it's looked at um, differently than being gay or lesbian. This is true. There's a there's a lot of stigma and. Um, as a matter of fact, I kind of have a news item that came up in the last week or so, and uh, there was a thing came, that came out called hashtag drop the B, and people started to see this on on Twitter and elsewhere. And basically, there were there were several different memes of, uh, about it, but one the main one was an image of uh, someone wearing a trans symbol T-shirt and looking very angry. And it said there are more than two genders, and then it said LGBT with the B crossed out, and then it said hashtag drop the B. So people, so why do they want to do that? Well, well, just listen. So people were were furious, you know, because uh, there there is this. One of the ideas that has come out is that um, erroneously, in my opinion, is that because the word bisexual means two, it's basically saying. Uh, I have an attraction to tr cis men and cis women and nothing in between exists. And so therefore bisexuality or the term bisexual is transphobic. So it shouldn't be used. It shouldn't be used or it shouldn't be an identity. Now what, so that is a thing that has happened. I mean, there have been some, um, there's been some tension between some people who identify as non-binary or trans or, um, just wanting to recognize all genders who think that bisexuality means um, means that that it that it's excluding them 
and so therefore it's not right. However, uh, it got discovered fairly quickly that this was not put out by you know a trans organization or anything like that or a pansexual organization, but it was some people at 4chan. Yeah. So what? It's actually like a, a conservative group of people on 4chan who recognize this. Oh, they're uh, just trying to store shit. Right. So they recognize this sort of tension in the LGBT community about how people are defining themselves and some people maybe finding one offensive or, or misunderstanding uh, and exploiting it in a really sick but brilliant way, <laughs> you know. So it did have some, I did see some posts from uh, TERFs, trans-exclusive radical feminists, who were like, look at these crazy trans people who are saying such and such, you know, and saying, because some people who don't believe in more than two genders just say, well, look at this, these people are crazy. And then other people were like, well, bisexuals were like, well, how dare you erase us? Because bisexual erasure is a huge thing, you know? Yeah. And it really caused, it caused a lot of friction. And then once people recognized where it came from, and then people have been writing about, you know, the, um, the trauma that is there for all of us and how, you know, and unfortunately got exploited in this case. But this was a really, uh, it's a really weird thing, and it really, it, in a way, it, it, it pinpointed the um, the issue that really concerns me is the infighting that we do have, and that that is so unnecessary. And I want everyone to understand, you know, that first of all, bi people do exist, and one can identify as bisexual and fully understand this the range of genders and be attracted to more than two genders or whatever that is, you know, um, I identify as non-binary myself and bisexual, which is perfectly congruent to me, you know. Well, and, Mike, yeah. okay, I have a couple of questions. Sure. Um, first is what then is the difference between bisexual and pansexual that was my question other than just language i mean it's it's like is it like is that is that person could be either of those or is it just the way you anyway that's is it is it a language thing or is there an actual difference that is a really wonderful question and i think i would love to have someone on our show who identifies as pansexual who wants to speak more eloquently about it than I can but I can tell you my a few thoughts I have about it I think that a lot of it has to do with when you came out okay because I can certainly imagine that if I had come out later when pansexual was a word that people were <laughs> were using that I could probably pretty easily fit into that you know and and most people say if um one of the definitions that i see is that uh pansexual means that you are uh, you have the capacity to love or be attracted to more to all genders right or that gender is um irrelevant regardless of gender right and the definition of bisexual tends to be um that you are attracted to your gender, you have the capacity to be attracted to your own gender and other genders, you know? So it's not necessarily, you only pick two because it's, because the prefix is bi. <laughs> it's that 
you know, you have an openness. And, and well, um, it was also uh, it was also in at least American culture uh, or European culture or whatever that until fairly recently, um, we only recognize two genders. Mm-hmm. Even, right. You know, even trans even trans transgender people were, you know, moving from gender A to gender B or gender B to gender A. You know, it, it wasn't like like other like uh, like certain um, native communities and even um, I think you know in some some uh, Indian Hindu paths they recognize things that genders that are neither male nor female you know um and and in in our in the united states or at least in the culture we were raised in every there's the duality of just stuff is the dual you know the dualism the thinking in 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 just there's either there's there's good and bad or black and white uh uh you know it's it's everything was dual you know god and man and and it's mm-hmm. it, and it was always separate into tooth male and female it's all these two it was always two and more recently since we've been exposed and we've been allowing ourselves to be open to the concept of oh maybe everything isn't one or the other there's it's like a whole continuum it's a whole spectrum of stuff and you could be anywhere along that line mm-hmm. and i and um and had i guess if we had that mindset you know 40 50 years ago the word bisexual never you know would have just been pansexual i that's why i guess we really need to have and i and i totally get what you're saying robin um mm-hmm. and i think it's fine though i mean i don't i don't necessarily think that we need to do away with the word the, the word bisexual actually originally came out of botany i believe really it was it was about a plant that had the you know the fertilization organs of of ma- the male and female plants basically okay well or, yeah a lot of plants are actually i'm growing some right now i have zucchini uh in, yeah. the, in the backyard and there's male flowers and female flowers and you could tell the difference because the female flowers have an actual zucchini growing on the end of it and the male mm-hmm. flowers are just on a stalk Sexual zucchini growing. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, yeah. But so also, I mean, I think it's the development of language is, as it's been happening, is a really wonderful thing. That because, um, you know, I always felt that um, my gender was something fluid and in between, and and there are just better words to describe those things now, or different words to describe it. And I like. I like using for me these labels are really just shorthand for describing something that's deeper you know yeah. it's not a label that that limits but it's a label that helps to helps conversation and um so that i would just hope that when someone says that they're bisexual that someone can ask what that means for them okay you know? because i think what's been happening is um the, the word has become it's gotten back defined based on words that have come along since and so it doesn't mean it doesn't mean something as limited as what i think some people are starting to believe it means well they're, you know? i think they're being like belligerently literal that could yes 
<laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Because <laughs> it's like, yeah, it, it's. Um, and I forget there was a there was a joke meme going around for a while. Uh, oh, I think it had to do with the word polyamory. Oh yes, yeah, because it's got you know a Greek a Greek prefix and a Roman suffix or something like that. And they're mixing Greek and Roman and like, a, and a, a, that was, that's the thing. Cause you're supposed to, cause they're, they're saying, Oh, polyamory is horrible. And, and then you're supposed to get all outraged. And then you read further. It's like, Oh, you're just talking about the fact you're mix, mixing Greek and Latin things. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Well, then uh, maybe there would have to be a change in that term of LGBTQ. Uh, we the have LGPQ, LGPQ. Yeah, we have to put a P Q. in there. <laughs> change the B to a T. Yeah, T. Yeah. It keeps growing. You know, you yeah. know, though, if you change change the the B to the P, it's kind of the reverse of what IHOP restaurants doing right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, and a lot of people now are are saying buy plus. So when okay. they when they use the term buy. Um, what they mean is everyone who identifies as bisexual, pansexual, uh, fluid, you know, queer, questioning, where it's sort of cre- making them, making people understand that the umbrella is actually a big umbrella and, and yeah. everyone's welcome. Well, in, and in I think everyone should be welcome to use the term that they feel comfortable with, you know. I yeah. like bisexual, other people like omnisexual or pansexual or um, but I, I, and I think in, in in just translating it into a concept that you could understand, it's sort of it, it to me, at least from your explanation, it sounds like gender doesn't really play into how and who you're attract you find sexually attractive. That's actually if if I were to guess at what I think might be the difference that people are um sort of trying to explore with bisexual versus pansexual. I think it, I like gender. I like to the interplay of gender. And there are, there's more, it's more than two, you know, types of, of gender expressions that I'm attracted to. There's, it's a very, it's a, it's a huge continuum. There are some that I'm less, less drawn to, you know? So I, I don't know that I would say that for myself, I'm, I, I'm attracted to people regardless of gender. I would say that I'm attracted to many gender expressions and some really a lot and some less so. But I wouldn't say that it's it's um, not important. I think you know. So maybe for uh, one of the definitions of pansexual anyway is that the attraction happens regardless of gender. So it really isn't as much of a factor okay i think it's it 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 factors in so there's a subtle nuance between bi and pan that this is my guessing you know this (laughs) well at least for you sexual person saying how i feel and and um extrapolating from what i've heard from people who identify as pan so that's you know i think um there's just so so much to talk about. And to me, it's not a debate. It's like, wow, how does this work for you? This is how it works for me. And this is what I'm attracted to. And isn't that interesting? Yeah. You know, well, it's I really I guess it's it's a it, people have used um, food preference analogies for this. <laughs> right. You know, like, you know, you like pizza with 
all different things on it or somebody likes pizza with cheese and, and pepperoni and that's it or, or mushroom or uh, dare I say uh, pineapple Pine <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the real debate <laughs> drop the pea, drop the pineapple now <laughs> Yes, that's something we could all agree on. I <laughs> no, I and and my other question that I used to uh, that maybe for me is a non-question anymore um, is, can you be bi or pansexual if you are in a monogamous relationship that is uh, heterosexual? Sure, why not? Well. Because you're never going to act on it. So, you know, what's... Well, well, look at the... A man is married to a woman and he's, he's attracted to his wife, but he also looks at other women so he's attracted to them. Like, that's just one thing, but, but that doesn't mean he's not attracted to other women. So, we, because he's married, so I don't see how being married or being in a in a monogamous relationship would change the attraction or your basic um, personality or, you know, who you are. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. For me, um, my sexuality is so much a part of my identity. It's really a uh, core of who I am. And so, I find it really distressing to think about losing my identity based on who I'm partnered with. Yeah. You know, the mm -hmm. idea that I would, I would have to say, well, I'm with this man now, so now I'm, I'm just going to be straight or I'm going to identify as straight. Um, yeah. But, and, okay. Yeah. No, it's just, well, you're also polyamorous. So, you know, that's not going to be, you know, a monogamous relationship is not really something that you're going to get into, or at least one would think it wouldn't be for very long. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I, that's true. Um, however, a lot of people really do, um, take on the identity of the, of the primary relationship that they're in, you know? So if, if I were to be in a primary relationship where people would culturally see me with someone who, presented as male, you know, mm -hmm. as a man, with, uh, then if the world saw me as straight, it might be, or some people would make the choice to just accept that identity, you know? Okay. Know, I know women who, I know a lot of women actually who are in relationships with other women who identify as lesbians, but either occasionally have experiences with men that they don't talk about with their like <laughs> at the bar you know <laughs> or say you know i met this woman i i love her um we're together but if i if some circumstance were different or if we decided to just play i would i would play with guys you know but their identity is lesbian you know so that that is a thing that happens it's not something you know whether whether someone's um polyamorous or uh or monogamous um and you know and i think you know if someone is non-binary you know and the other thing is 
for me, I mean, I'm a non-binary person. I think any relationship that I'm in is a queer relationship. Regardless if I'm, it doesn't matter who I'm (laughs) living with. My, part of my identity is queer, you know? Yeah. So that relationship with that person is going to, at least, I mean, a healthy relationship will absolutely embrace and acknowledge that part of myself. Well, Um, I'm sorry. It just, it sounds to me like this is a, this is a question of uh, existentialism, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like the, the whole idea of to be or to do, what are you being and what are you doing? Hmm. Two Mm -hmm. different things. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, well, how do you, what, how are you feeling about it, Wendy? How's that? I, I don't know. Um, I, I guess it's because of how I was raised. Um, I was unaware of anything other than cishet life until I was in my twenties. So, um, so that obviously means that I wasn't gay because people who you know like because I had I had friends who were gay in high school and I didn't know (laughs) see people had to tell me later oh he was gay it's like he's gay it's like really okay and he and he and I'm thinking back he knew it when he was 14 I didn't know it Mm -hmm. um and maybe if I was a guy I might have known it because you know um he may have been actually attracted to me instead of not being attracted to me um (laughs) But, uh, you know, I've had experiences with women um, in my youth. And, you know, there's that whole, I mean, I didn't go to uh, whatever that college is in Pennsylvania <laughs> where everybody's like supposedly lesbian while they're in college and then they're not afterwards. That's a, that's a stereotype of every college. I I, well, no, it, it was this one particular woman's college in Pennsylvania that, that you know, if you just said the names, like, oh, yeah. that. Um, and I, I think you're thinking of Douglas. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's New Jersey. That's funny. Um, but, uh, you know, so, but I've, yeah, most of most and and the and the things that I've had with women were I guess you would call casual encounters. I didn't have like a relationship with any of them and and uh, but I you know it's I I guess I have to think about what the hell I am because <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's easy to just say yeah I'm cishet whatever. Um, because it's it's an easy default to fall into and I can certainly present that way uh and I can but I there's a lot of things that I do that are very male and and I figure that's like internally because you're internally you have you know male and female yin and yang you all of that's in you and um my my argument though is what is male and what is female I think it's a cultural thing very often and um, I don't know. Uh, I, I sometimes feel like, uh, these are assumptions that have been made. Well, yeah. That this is male and this is female, but it's not necessarily true. I think that's right, Mary, but there's also an aspect of internal compass that we might, you know, we might ascribe certain s- stuff to what it is to feel masculine or feminine or some some thing in between you know 
so it's not necessarily you're born with, well, if I feel feminine, I want to wear pink or, or, or something like that. But I think we do have within us a sense of who we are and who we want, how we want to express in the world that is, that has to do with gender, you know, and it's not just about, I don't want to do the stuff that people, or I do want to do the stuff that people ascribe to that gender. Well, I know when I was a kid, I wanted to be a boy when I was a kid. I wanted very much to be a boy. And it was really. Well, the boys had was No, it was because the boys had options. Yeah. The boys could do and be whatever they wanted. Girls could be, when I was growing up, you could be a mommy, you could be a nurse, or you could be a teacher. And that was it. And I didn't want to be any of those things. Yeah. So, you know, I, I had a, a, and actually there was a, (laughs) there was a, there was a time in when I was a kid where I would dress and I had really short hair and I would dress kind of male and people would misgender me and I would think it was hilarious. Um, Mm -hmm. so I don't know, but you know, I, the society, the way I was raised and the way I grew up, I, it's, it's like, I guess my weirdness came out more in, um in the in the fandoms that that i started doing you know hanging out in like the science fiction community and and uh and that stuff and i and i guess that was enough that i didn't feel the need to um to go do you know to to present differently although Mm -hmm. i seem to kind of be sort of doing that now i don't know i don't know i have to this is this is one of those things that's not going to get settled in a podcast. I'm going to have to, like, you know, think about this for a decade, and and when I'm 70, say I'm now I'm gender fluid. I don't know. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good, and it, I I honestly think that um, having the conversation and being visible, having the conversation, is the most important thing. Mm. Because for me, it feels. It feels really heartbreaking to me to um, to think of people just living the default because it's there for them. It's an yeah. easy yeah. It's an easy it's an easy way to hide from the from the conflict that one might encounter. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's so it's it's that's the really like where a lot of the true erasure of bisexuality happens. I mean, it happens culturally and you know from the LG world and the straight world in various ways. But a lot of it, I mean, is, is about accepting what people see of you and just believing that that's who all you get to be, you know? Ah, yeah. And it's, I think it's wonderful for people who are LGBT or, or, or who are queer or bisexual or, and, you know, decide to partner with someone who uh, monogamously and really maintain that identity and not just fade fade away, you know. You know, people like Ana DeFranco married a man and uh, it was a lot. People were angry and all the, <laughs> the women who had really, you know, been in love with her and, and, and supported her work. But she she absolutely continued to identify as, as queer and would never back down from that, you know. And, and um, that happens no matter who someone partners with, they have that opportunity. And I think that's really valuable to all of us actually well as, i i, I as do, well as our own well-being you know yeah and i do appreciate that 
we seem to have more choice in personal expression now than mm -hmm. we did in you know the 50s <laughs> when mm -hmm. i was an infant and uh <clears throat> you know and i think that's a that's a good thing mm -hmm. absolutely I guess I'll start. I really don't have anything to promote, but but if anybody wants to learn more about me, they could go to my website. It's MaryMcGinley.com. Hi, I'm Robin Renee, and you can find me on the web at RobinRenee.com, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash RobinReneeFan, on Twitter at SpiritRockSexy, on Instagram at RobinReneeMusic, and Unfortunately, I didn't realize I should brand all of my things the same, <laughs> but that's, okay. that's what it is for now. And um, if you want to read a short, sexy poem by me um, in the summer 2018 issue of the Bi Women Quarterly, you can find it at bywomenboston.org. That's cool. Uh, this is Wendy. And uh, you can find some stuff of mine at wendycards.com or you can get some of my music. Just go to musicforthegoddess.com. That's musicforthegoddess.com. And uh, there's links to where you can buy my music. Ah, hi. So this is Mary talking again and, and something happened this week that I thought was kind of interesting it kind of struck me I have been working at a theater that's a presentation organization that means that they present touring companies of of shows and of concerts and uh, they they've been getting a lot of concerts that are rock and roll concerts or, or soul music concerts, various concerts, and people are paying a lot of money to go these these things. Like which uh, acts? Like giving an example of an uh, act. You... Temptations in the Four Tops. Okay. Or uh, let's see, they. It's hard for me to remember. But, well, that's but one. That's a, you know, that's enough. <laughs> yeah. Or or rock things that right now what's coming up they call it the hippie fest um, <laughs> uh, vanilla fudge is going to be featured there really <laughs> yeah wow. I, I I'm older than you girls so you may not really really uh, it may not resonate to you what I'm talking about but uh, it, it just struck me that that people are paying a lot of money I mean tickets are like $79 each or something. People are paying a lot of money to go to these concerts, where it's uh, it's some sort of group that's from 40 years ago or even 50 years ago that uh, that they listened to when they were children. And I thought, wow, that's really nostalgia is really selling. And I I never thought in my in my life to go to one of these things where where there's a, a rock and roller that I loved when I was 12 years old. Do I really want to hear him when he's 76 years old 
world, I don't think it's going to have the same impact. And I'd really rather remember him uh, the way he was on the recording that I have, you know, like I could listen to the old records. But uh, there there was one uh, tour. And this is the thing, too. I thought people don't how do people go to these tours or these um, shows where it's just one person saying, and then I, I had this big hit and then I had that big hit. And I thought, you know, I don't want to watch that for an hour. But that's but, not what they do. I mean, did you, did you no, actually go to the show? They do. No, that's well, well, not what they well, do. No, what they do. That's what Don McLean did when I Is saw it. Oh my God! Really? I really didn't. I was. I almost walked out because I just thought he was just really rude. <laughs> yeah. But well, but... well, I think that what they've gotten smart about this is they take a number of groups, like seven groups. That I think this one that that I eventually saw. They had seven different groups, all in a tour, and they called it the Happy Together Tour, and and the Happy Together because it's the Turtles. Or Flo and Eddie, and I do like Flo and Eddie, so um, I I paid attention to that, and I thought eh, maybe I'll see because I work for this organization. I was able to get free tickets, so I'm not paying seventy nine dollars for the tickets. I thought let me see how it is, you know, and I went in skeptical because I knew that they had a number of acts I wasn't necessarily familiar with, and one of the acts they had was the cow sills. And I don't know if you girls know who the cow sills are. Yes, I but... know who the cow sills are. <laughs> yeah, when I was when I was a kid, oh, anyway. I didn't really Yeah, they're the ones that the Partridge family was based on. So the, that TV show. So I never really thought of them as rock and roll. They're kind of pop, you know, not rock and roll. And so uh, I could see though from the paperwork that the cows were going to go first. And I thought, mm, you know, I'll just listen to them. Well, the cow seals started, and the first song that they played was I Love the Flower Girl. I don't know if you know that song, Flower Girl. No. Nope. But I just went, oh, oh, I love this. <laughs> and I was, I was suddenly taken back to my 12-year-old self and and I just melted. I really melted. And then the next act, I don't remember who he was, but he was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you don't remember. You can't out him for being terrible. Yeah. And I realized, too, that there's a, a particular thing. The reason why the councils were good and the next act was not good was that the councils were very good singers. And they were very uh, good musicians, and they sang in harmony, and um, and they sounded good. But this next guy, he was one of those guys who, um, when I was 12 years old, I watched him on Shindig or something, and uh, and I just went, oh, because because he was handsome and, and sexy and all this, but now he was an old man and it was kind of, <laughs> he was trying to do that and it was like, no, I don't think so. And, and he had no voice left and I thought, this is kind of sad. But the rest of the groups were pretty good. So I just was wondering about though, this whole idea of why were people there listening to these 
um, old guys who don't necessarily have the voice they used to have. Although I have to say, one of the very interesting tricks of the whole thing is that everybody in the audience was singing along. So it, it just, I stopped for a second, I realized I was singing along, so I stopped and then I was listening to everybody around me was singing along. So when these singers would get to a point in the song where they couldn't carry it, they, they knew they couldn't hit the note that they used to hit, they would just stop and, and point, point the, the microphone. At the microphone. Yes, ah! exactly. And let the audience hit. Oh my goodness. It was so funny. That's how do you well I you know the term there's a term in the in the industry for that and and it's uh dinosaur bands and dinosaur tours which are you know basically bands that have been around since the late Cretaceous period and um <laughs> <laughs> uh like the Rolling Stones for example um yeah and uh when I was actively trying to make it as a musician we would all me and my other young Turks would all be kind of resentful of of these guys like come on give a give like some young people a chance for, at the venues and stuff but um yeah I've been to a few concerts not very recently but I remember seeing yes in ELP you know in the 90s or maybe in the early 2000s but probably in the 90s when they were playing um, like the the Garden State Arts Center down in Homedale, the open air theater in the summer, um, and it's you know you watch them, you know, they're, and they and it and they're playing all their old songs, uh, mm -hmm. which which has though it's that's what, something you have to really 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 love your music if you're going to be playing the same stuff for the next forty years. Yeah, you know, and the song has to be good because. I, you know, otherwise, if, if it's song is like, eh, or not so great, or if you're not into it, how could you possibly do that? It's like, it's, I guess, like being in the Fantastics in the pit band, um, who actually my mom knew some people who met in the pit band of the Fantastics and got married and had a family and, and got divorced and in the pit band of the fantastics it's like that was their job is every night go play this show it's like i i cannot think about how soul crushing that would be after 20 years but um you know it, it's one of the reasons that these guys have to do this is because the music industry you know they're all basically freelancers so they have probably little to no retirement savings they have no health insurance they have you know so they have to keep touring in order to pay the bills yeah um, and i yeah. know and i remember was it bonnie Raitt when she when she did a <clears throat> a tour through um the last tour that i saw of hers which was probably at least 15 years ago because i don't get out of the house anymore <laughs> i don't go to concerts anymore um but uh she was taking um a couple of old blues acts with her i mean these the and you know she was in her late 40s early 50s at this point and these guys were in their 60s and 70s and that's one of the reasons she was taking them on tour was a they're amazing musicians and everybody should hear them and and b these guys really needed the money um mm -hmm. you know and she also i think she was uh working on setting up some kind of um fund and I think she was getting the old Motown record companies 
to like help pay for this because it's like this is this is the these are the musicians that that built these record companies in the first place and gave them the reason that they exist and gave them all this money and and now that they're old and they have you know physical needs that are not being met because they have no more income she was helping getting them uh you know like health care and, and stuff like that uh and that's and that's one thing about the music business is horrible um because it's like if you do if you do make it and you're not like socking money away like you, you know like you're never going to have it later you, you're because you, your your fame and your earning potential um you know it peaks and then it goes down and then you know you're left with nothing and um you know and a lot of the older musicians especially people whose acts were big in the 50s and the 60s and possibly even in the 70s um their their contracts were just awful as far as you know getting long-term income from their work so they need to tour mm-hmm. i mean that's one of the reasons why they do it i don't know that yeah. you know mick jagger and keith richards like need the money but um and especially nowadays that because a lot of people aren't buying music as frequently as they used to because you can get it for free versus through streaming and whatever um and the streaming does not pay much uh so this you know so they used to used to be in the old days you could count on your back catalog the royalties to kind of sustain you towards the end of your career and you can't count on that now yeah so yeah i noticed with this concert that one of the particular things they did was they set up in the lobby merch that they were selling they were selling their cds and t-shirts and things like that well yeah that's the that's the fourth pillar of the four yeah. pillars of making money doing music yeah it's merchandise uh touring recording and songwriting mechanicals those yeah. are the four pillars <laughs> yeah and you know too well like i said one of my favorites was the turtles and i know that in their history the turtles um i don't know if you are familiar with their hits but they had so many good hits like uh uh Happy Together was one of their hits. And um, It Ain't Me Babe, the Bob Dylan song, they did very well. Um, but their manager got the rights to the name, the Turtles. And so they lost a lot of money because they had to stop appearing as the Turtles because they couldn't use that name anymore. And that's when they switched to Flo and Eddie. And then they, then they started singing with Frank Zappa. So that was yeah, kind that's of how I know who they are. Yeah, yeah. But uh, which um, the, the disappointing thing for of this concert, just going back to this concert, was that the, the big act at the end was the Turtles, but the uh, Flo and Eddie, I can't remember their actual names, but the guy, Eddie, he was sick and he had to drop out and they had to replace him with the guy who was the singer in the Archies. And Flo's doesn't have a voice left and, and they had really good songs too but the backup band was very very good and they they broke into playing Frank, Frank Zappa things too and I went oh well yeah I forgot that they sang with Frank Zappa so it was kind of cool it was kind of cool I enjoyed it I'm just sorry that that one guy's not well well I have sort of a different take on on this um I mean, I, you know, a lot of that I, I can uh, 
here as well. And, and some of it makes sense to me in terms of, you know, do you want to see someone when they're not at their height or whatever? I mean, you know, there's a lot of, um, hold on, stop. <laughs> okay. Hang on. Like I have things to say, but how long is brief thing? So yeah, I'd, mm -hmm. I'd like you to say some things cause it was just me and Mary. So. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Chime in there. So the thing that I think about with, going to see older musicians is that I really want to believe and I and I find that in a lot of cases people really have vital things to express still you know that uh, some of the artists I really love have who've been making music since the 70s or 60s in some cases I mean really have um are doing good work you know and so I wouldn't want to think that people should not be on stage anymore because they've reached a certain age and people are like, oh, well, you know, make room or, uh, or, or that they get devalued in some way. Like Joan Armatrading just came out with, I think her 16th album or something like that. And it's wow. great. It's really good. You know, and there are some people that have consistently beautiful things to share. And, you know, I mean, not everyone is, is awesome. I mean, there are Bowie records that I, don't care about and they're ones that I love but, you know anybody who's made music over that long a period of time I think that happens you know Elvis Costello also but he's um he's changed and grown a lot and I, I don't see him every single time he's around but I do I do go you know um so there's that tier oh and I did see the stones I saw the stones in I think 2002 so that was my only time seeing them and I thought they were amazing it was kind of like I, I felt ago. Yeah, it was a while ago, sure, but I mean, it was, but it wasn't, you know, <laughs> their heyday. Um, and uh, people were making, you know, they're saying, though, the steel wheelchairs tour and all that, you know. And <laughs> I think, but I think they were really good. So if people, they could, people could make fun all they want, but they actually did a good show and they kind of reminded me of what made me love rock to begin with you know mm -hmm. well yeah well, i mean if you're gonna go see the stones and pay what 150 bucks for a ticket it's like going to a broadway it's like going to broadway and you're expecting to see something on that level of performance and so, some of the ticket prices are are not you know i don't really want to do that anymore but yeah that's that's you but, know, you so, know but yeah that they're they have to, I mean, you have to think about, they have to pay for the venue. They have to pay for their crew. They have to pay for everybody else on that stage. They have to pay for everybody backstage. Mm -hmm. They have to, and they, they and they want they to the maintain their travel. lifestyle. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, they have, they have an entire organization that like, if it's somebody like the Stones is they have a whole organization that they support that, you know, they have employees. They have a lot of people working for them. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know what I mean? It's like Broadway, you know, like there's, there's, was it 50 actors on the stage and, you know, God knows what the, they're paying, they have to, they have to recoup. What's it, what's it cost? Like a couple of million dollars to put on a Broadway show now? Like 10 million or something that like that? So yeah, I mean, I, I understand why the ticket prices are high and uh, it's sad that it's. People you can see that aren't, the, that aren't like that on that tier of rock and roll that maybe have been doing it for a long time. Yeah, they're very accessible, yeah. and yeah. you can see them. I mean, like you know, I've seen a lot of punk acts that are 
you know, much later than when anyone's thinking about them being, you know, at the top of their game or the top of the, the, the mind of the music business. But I don't really, I mean, gosh, I mean, I saw the, I've seen the Buzzcocks, I've seen the, the Sex Pistols did that filthy lucre tour, which was kind of interesting, but it was, but it was cool to see them because it's one of those things you didn't expect to ever see live, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and, oh gosh, um, and I, we, Jeff, I, the circle jerks, you know, so there's a lot of things like that. And, uh, you know, I think if the music still moves you and people want to see it and want to experience it, I think that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's good. too. And then there is a difference between uh, someone who's an artist who's continuing to grow throughout their life and continuing to practice and, and somebody who's a one hit wonder that they just talk into going into these, these tours these group tours. Right, I agree. You've been listening to the Leftscape Podcast. Find us online at leftscape.com, on Twitter at Leftscape, and on Facebook at Leftscape. The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. New episodes every Wednesday.